0: Without further ado, we'll jump into the book of Ephesians. Uh, I just want to warn you today that if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, we're not going to have the scripture on the screen, but you can use a pew Bible. So if you have a pew Bible, you can turn it to page, I think it's 976. 976, 977, somewhere in there, if if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word. But uh, you might have a smartphone that has the Bible on it, or maybe I hope you did bring your own copy of God's Word, but uh, we're going to be walking through Ephesians uh, without the screen uh, assisting us with that anyway. But uh, when you think of a wall, what do you think of? Maybe you think of a a barrier. Uh, Maybe you think of a monument. I think a wall can be either thing. Uh, Walls to keep things out and walls to keep things in. And so as we look at uh, walls and barriers this morning, of course the title of today's message is Breaking Walls to Build His Church, and what it means to be united in Christ, what that looks like for us. And so as we look at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But as you may know, in our society today, the terminology of being alienated is kind of popular in contemporary society. Now, I don't know what you think of, but again, when you think of a wall, maybe the Great Wall of China comes to mind, which was ob- obviously to keep out, uh, I think it was Attila de Han or, or whoever they built for back then for those kind of purposes. Maybe you think of the Berlin Wall, which of course was to divide people. Maybe you think of the wall that was partially built or supposed to be built down in, in Mexico or America or wherever that was on the border there or something like that. Uh, Maybe you think of your own fence. You know, we have a fence that's up in our yard uh, to keep our middle son in. He's older now and he still kind of, I think, wanders, but, you know, that's why we built it. But alienation is this idea of a wall to divide things. People who are disillusioned with, you know, quote unquote, the system feel alienated whether that's from your family or whether that's from the socio-culture that we live in as Americans, people can feel alienated. This word uh, has been popularized by somebody named Karl Marx. Perhaps you've heard of him. Uh, Karl Marx actually stole this term from a theologian named Ludwig uh, Frudenbach, which I probably butchered. You can Google that if you want. But what Marx understood this to be is the plight of the proletariat in terms of economic alienation. And the way that he explains that, and the way that this works out in his theory of what alienation is, in this economic alienation, is workers put in their effort and their time, they kind of pour themselves into this thing that they make. And then when that thing that they make is sold, uh, Marx makes the uh, statement that part of them is then lost. Part of them has been sold. You know? It's this idea of putting yourself in this product and then that part being cut off from you. And this is what is the basis of this class struggle. Well, unfortunately for Marx, long before he popularized the term alienation, long before we have our own connotations of it, you know there's a book that speaks about alienation? Can you guess what it is? It happens to be the Bible. You're right, and it's Ephesians, right? Gold stars for both of you. But uh, alienation comes from between us and our God, our creator, but also between us and one another. And so as we look at the text, I'm going to show you, as Paul shows us, Through the power of his Holy Spirit, we're going to look in here about what it means to break down walls to build up his church. And I hope that after today's message, if you aren't already feeling like you are part of that, I hope that you will be after today. So let's go to God in prayer. God, our Father in heaven, as we talk today about division and alienation, we ask that you would guide our time together. We ask that you would grant us a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit by which we can understand and apply the things of your word. Show us, Father, how the gospel is the means by which you break down these walls in our lives. And you break down those walls and instead you build bridges of hope and peace and love. Jesus, as we come to read these words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, we would ask that you would build your church bring us afresh the love and relationship which, which we can only have in you. We ask that you would have your will be done in our lives. And then also, Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters in the faith around the globe today. Those who are suffering due to either persecution or famine or sword, we ask that you would help us not to forget to lift them up to you As your word says that we are members all in the same body with them. So we thank you for this text. We ask you to use it mightily this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, hopefully you found it there on page 976 of the Pew Bible or in your own. As we look at that, the first thing that I really want to talk about is the gospel of Christ is where we are to find our identity. So if you're a note taker, hopefully we didn't run out of notes for you, that's what's in the blank there. The gospel of Christ is where we are to find our identity. Now Paul, as he's writing this, remember we can't just rip scripture out of context. And so you have the job of trying to remember the things that were talked about and were written about by by Paul. I don't care so much if you remember my sermon, but I I, I would like for you to. But I really want for you to understand the context of the Bible. So remember that we went through all of chapter 1 and now the first part of chapter 2 before he gets here. And so all of those things in 1 through 10 of this last chapter matter as we get to this section of text because he's going to tell us in verses 11 through 12, if you want to look down at God's word, he's going to tell us to remember the nature of our past. He says in Ephesians 11 and 12 here in chapter 2, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And it's important that we remember that. Uh, In a room like this, there are so many testimonies of what God has done in their lives. Some of you, praise be to God, were saved when you were like five years old and by his grace you've been able to live faithfully with him through all that time. Some of you may have known scripture when you were five years old, and then later on in your life you kind of walked away from the church or from the faith altogether, and you lived your own life, and then by God's grace he brought you back. Some of you were saved in your 50s or 60s and had a a, a life completely separated from God, and then by his grace again he's called you and redeemed you but Paul in the text here is going to tell us twice if you look at it there in verse 11 and verse 12 he says therefore remember and then in verse 12 remember he wants us to remember that at one time we were but now we're not that's why he says at one time we were separated here's the words that he uses here if you look at the text at one time we were separated from Christ that division wall was there we were alienated We had no rights in the covenant. And he goes on further and says, without hope, without God in the world. I don't know about you, and, and you will after I say this, but I have the picture in my mind of one of those kites that a kid's flying, and then all of a sudden either they let go of the string or the string breaks, and it just kind of gets carried away by whatever way the wind blows, just kind of to and fro out in the sky, and you... You sit with your crying child as you just watch it disappear into the nothingness and you're like, well, that's, that's what happened. You see, we have to remember our nature of our past. All of us, whether Jew or Gentile, and this is what he's talking about here, whether you were called of the uncircumcision party or the circumcision, all of us will need to remember our original nature. But then he also goes on and he tells us the next part is to remember the consequences of our past. Now for this... I don't know what page it is in your Bible, but if you turn over a little bit to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, you're going to see what he says there. Here's the consequences of our previous nature, which we just talked about last week, so hopefully you have this memorized by now, right? He said, you were dead in your trespasses, and says, you know, you shouldn't lie in church. Uh, in, in, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so remember your nature, but also remember the consequences of living that way. What fruit were we gaining there? You know, as I look back at my own history, I look back at the consequences of the fruit I was gleaning from that kind of lifestyle. And I have deep regret. Maybe some of you do. Even if you are one of the lucky ones that was saved when you were like three or four years old, you can look back at the fruit of the consequences of sin in your life, and how if only you had been farther along down sanctification process, then that consequence wouldn't have happened. So I'm going to ask the question, why is it then that Paul calls us to remember twice, right after he talks about 1 through 10 of chapter 2? He tells us, remember these things twice. Is it just so he can rub our faces in it? I would say, no, not at all. But I think the answer is he tells us to remember twice because the fact is we so easily forget. Don't we? I mean, I know I do. There's times where I uh, give into the pride of my own heart and I think, man, I'll never be that guy again. Man, I've come such a long way. Or, we don't want to face the pain of what we were. I know that's true for me as well. I don't want to remember those things because I don't want to live those things anymore because it causes pain and shame. So whether it's pride or whether it's sorrow or perhaps sometimes it's because we, are, we don't want to be reminded that we're actually no better than the people that we're judging. Because if I remember how I was, if I remember the consequences of, of what I did and who I was and things like that, then, then therefore I can't throw any stones. But when I don't remember that, then that gives me all the ammunition I need. You see, I think Paul understands the same thing that we should If you've lived any amount of time under the sun, especially as walking with Christ, which it is so easy for us to forget who we are outside of Christ. And so because of that, our praise isn't what it should be. Our witness isn't what it should be. Our parenting, our marriages, our family ties, our entertainment, our food choices, the words that we say. I don't know if you know the man, but you know the saying, George... Santiana in 1905. He has a very famous saying which uh, we've changed a little bit over time, but you're going to know it nonetheless. It's uh, those who do not understand history are doomed to repeat it. Now, that's not actually what he said. What he said is those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, Remember who you once were, remember the fruit of that, because you need to trust in your new identity. You see, this is what changes everything. When we are living out, when we find our identity in Christ and in Christ alone, this is where things change. This is where habits, hang-ups, addictions, those are where those things are now able to have victory over. That's where brokenness gets restored. Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you feel that? I mean, do you live that? And you should, and you should want to. Every single day, you should wake up tomorrow praying the prayer of God, help me to feel what I know to be true. Because feelings are fickle. Who can understand a man's heart? It's full of wickedness, right? And so feelings are deceptive. But this text says, Remember just how before it said, but God, right? This is another one of those. You can underline this in your Bible. That's okay. God, God won't get mad at you. You can underline, but now. So, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, gives another illustration of this, where it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places of the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God verse 22 let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil consciences and the bodies washed with with water you see the gospel of christ is where we must find our identity not just where we can or where we should it is a must for your life to be transformed by it There's an old theologian, Haley Ironside. He was the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. I don't know if you guys know or have ever heard about Ironside or or not, but uh, again, wonderful thing about the internet. You can look him up. But anyway, he's he's on a train on the way to California for a speaking engagement. And as he's on the train on the way to California, there is a a gypsy woman who comes up to the people in their carriage and says, hey, basically, if you give me a couple bucks, I'll tell you your past, your present, and your future. And of course, as the good theologian that he is, he says, really? Well, why don't you stay a while? I'd like to hear about this, you know? And, and he, he asks her what her means of doing this is and she, you know, gives him whatever spiel and, and he pulls out his Bible. He says, you know, I already have a book that has told me all about those things. And what Ironside did in that time was he took that uh, gypsy woman through Ephesians chapter two, one through 10. He says, here's my past. I was dead in my trespasses. Here's my present. I've been resurrected to Christ. And then, by the way, here's my future, eternal glory and assurance of that faith with Christ because my God never fails. Now, when I read about this, it doesn't say if the gypsy woman, of course, fell on her knees and received Christ that day. We can hope, right? But Ironside's illustration is absolutely true. You can know your past. You can remember it. But you can trust in your present and have hope for the future Because the gospel of Christ is where we find our identity. And we must trust in Christ. Next heading of our time together today is the gospel of Christ will break down our barriers. He's going to be about the business of breaking down barriers. Remember, we started this with talking about walls. We started this with talking about, I don't know, the the Great Wall of China, the Wall of Berlin, and all these things that are meant to separate things. Well, there is an even worse wall out there. Uh, the, the problem is, is it's invisible, and it's not built by human hands. Now, in first century, there was a visible representation of this when it came to the Temple of the Jews. And so my first point is Christ's blood brings peace with God. Ephesians two sixteen through 17, yes, I understand we're out of order. Go with me anyway. And so 16 and 17 of chapter 2, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. Are you seeing another theme in the text already? Those who are far off and away, those who are aliens of this salvation, those who were near, so both to Jew and to Greek uh, alike, Jew and Gentile alike. And so uh, there's a a magnificent temple that was built under Herod the Great during uh, uh, Jesus' time. And if you remember back to the text, right, he's he's walking. We're going to talk about this just in the next month or so. Right, so Jesus is, is walking towards the Temple Mount. People are laying their jackets down. And from where he was, if you can picture this, there's this giant building. And around the building is several walls. But in the middle of those walls is this building known as the Temple. This Temple is whitewashed, and so it's gleaming in the sun. And then on top of that, there was all kinds of ornate gold that they would put on top of it. So it was like, it was like a gem, shining in the sunlight but what they would have here and remember this temple was where the jews would go to meet the one true god of israel and also where gentiles who who would come and who who would either be curious about worship or who would have converted to judaism would then also come and worship this was the place where god was And inside of that was the Holy of Holies, right? But outside of this, you had these walls. And so I I want to read to you about these. So there was um, a a court of the priests. So you had the temple, then around that was the court of the priests with a wall. After that courtyard, there was another section of of place there. This was the, the, the place for lay men, so just men in general. And then, sorry ladies, but this is how they had it. Outside of that, then, was another courtyard area with another wall, and that was for the women, Jewish women only. And then, as it says here, I want to make sure I get this right, um, there was a spacious corner running on this. Uh, oh, okay, here, here, here it is. Um, on the same elevation, all of these were on the same elevation as the temple itself. Okay? Same footing. Then, from this level, one descended five steps up to a walled platform, and then on the other side of the wall, 14 more steps to another wall. And beyond this was the outer court of the Gentiles. This was a spacious court running right around the temple in the inner courts. From any part of it, the Gentiles could look up and view the temple, but they were not allowed to approach it. And in fact, there were basically old school, no trespassing signs that they would post. And these signs would actually say, trespassers will be persecuted and executed, and you have only yourself to blame for your own death. I summarize. Another interesting thing is it's proposed by scholars that Paul might have been writing this letter. We know he's writing this letter from prison in Rome and we believe that part of his reason for being arrested was because uh, there... In Acts, you can read this, Acts 21, 27 through 36 is the tag there. So if you're a note taker, you can write that down, Acts 21, 27 through 36. But the but the theory is is that Paul, a Jew, had kind of smuggled in a Christian named uh, Tropiphemus from Ephesus into the parts that they weren't supposed to go in, and because a riot then broke out, Paul was then arrested, and then he was taken uh, to Caesar, and eventually because of his appeal to, I'm sorry, Caesarea, and because of his appeal to go to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen, then he was transported to Rome as a prisoner, and that may be when he was writing this letter to those who were back in Ephesus. Just an interesting Bible nerdy tidbit for you, if you want. But let's look at the text we're covering for today. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came to preach peace to you who are far off, and preach to those uh, priest, uh, to those who are near. Who preached that? Jesus did. Is that not exactly what Jesus, uh, or what the, what the authors were talking about in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one and Mark fifteen thirty-eight, when they describe this innermost barrier, the temple curtain that was torn into from top to bottom? Now, just picture how you yourself might tear a piece of paper. Wherever the force is exerted first is where it tears from. It is no accident that our God and Father, who is outside of space and time, tore that temple curtain from top to bottom. This is what Jesus preached. He has came to preach peace to those who are far off. That's even the scripture he read. But not only does the gospel break down barriers between us and God, remember what I said when we started, that Christ's blood brings peace between people. Now you can go back to 14 and 15 if you'd like, for, for he himself is our peace. Who's your peace? Christ is your peace. Who has made us both one. Not focus on on the text for just a minute. Just really dial in here. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. Jesus has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. So Chrysostom, another good theologian from years gone by, this is how he explains this, and I love this illustration, so I wanted to make sure I shared it with you. So Chrysostom says, It's as if Jesus took two statues, one of silver and one of lead. He took those two statues, he threw them in the furnace together, and from the furnace out came then a statue of pure gold. This is what he says. They have not only become one, they have become better this higher oneness that creates a new race of humanity in Christ. Jesus abolishes the dividing wall of hostility between men and women that took place in Genesis. Through Christ, the dividing wall of black or white has been abolished. Through Christ, the dividing wall of young or old, rich or poor, strong or weak. All of those things are done away with in Christ. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen anything like this um, before, but there was this pastor who was talking about and giving an illustration of this from his own life. He said, there was a host church for this missionaries conference. There was a host church that showed a video of a ministry that is supports in Hungary that is led by a Korean who's been commissioned by a Presbyterian church out of Romania. This is how he puts it. He said, so there's a North American Anglos were supporting an Asian Korean who was a missionary to the land of Attila the Hun, having been commissioned by Presbyterian church from the historic land of Dracula. That's my kind of illustration. But the dividing wall that we feel in our nation between Republican or Democrat or between black and white or, or whatever, male or female, and all these other things, those dividing walls are, are nothing new. The hostilities are nothing new. This has been going on forever. In fact, what we talk about here, what he's talking about here, is what Paul, a Jew, a good Jew, as a, as a missionary to the Gentiles, this is the things that they used to say. They used to say Gentiles themselves were created by God as fuel for the fires of hell. There was actually Jewish laws that prohibited a Jew, or any Jew, whether male or female, a Jew was not allowed to help a pregnant woman during the time of her labor because, quote, it would only result in bringing another Gentile into the world. If a Jewish girl married a, a, a Gentile boy, or if a Gentile boy married a Jewish girl, the funeral of that Jewish child was then carried out because, to the family, they were figuratively dead. Talk about a difficult Thanksgiving. (laughs) See, these fleshly corruptions separate us from community, from intimacy, from worship, from all of these things. In Christ, the distinctions of race, nationality, pagan, pious, young, old, sinner, saint, prideful, wounded, offended, offender, all implode upon each other. And so I'm going to make some, I guess, bold statements this morning and and there there are three and there are this. If you are in Christ, you are also one with every other believer everywhere, regardless of anything else. Secondly, if you are not in Christ, then the primary problem with all of your failed relationships is because this has not been dealt with. Because the gospel of Christ is what breaks down barriers. And thirdly, if you are in Christ, And you have a relational problem with a member of the body of Christ. It is because one or both of you have unrepentant sin which is hindering your unity. Because in Christ, reconciliation will take place. And so this is what Christ came for, that we would have life and have life abundantly. And that's why on the third section of this, Christ's blood also brings inner peace. Now, this is not, uh, don't take this as some kind of like super out there theory. Look at verse 18. For through, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. As we get there, Ephesians 4 is also going to talk about this unity with Christ, but Romans 8.34 talks about it this way. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So what this means, brother or sister, is that when I want to call myself a failure, when I want to call myself a liar, a hypocrite, a pervert, a betrayer, when I want to call myself unworthy and not good enough, God says, you are my child. It says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This inner peace can only be found in the blood of Christ. It's only found when we find our identity in him. Because then it doesn't matter what the world says. The world can call me a bigot. The world can call me a misogynist. The world can call me a whatever it wants to, the all different labels. I guess, what would it call me? Like a, uh, an overprivileged whatever, I don't know. An Thanks. <laughs> Depends on who you ask, maybe. But this inner peace that we have can only be found in Christ with our identity in him. And so so I want to ask you not to build the walls that Jesus has torn down. Don't build up a wall separating you from God when Jesus is the one who has torn that away. Don't build up a wall keeping yourself away from other people when Jesus has said, no, you can have fellowship and unity in Christ. I want to ask you for this inner peace that we can have only through Jesus. Are you living in the forgiveness that he offers? Or instead of listening to Paul when he says, remember these things so that you can now trust in your identity, are you remembering these things and allowing Satan just to lie to you and tell you that there's, you're still never going to be good enough because unfortunately you were never good enough to begin with, neither was I. And it's not about being good enough. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And so with that comes our inner peace. I'm going to keep you late because we have lunch. And so the third head of our message for today is the the gospel of Christ is building us stronger together. The gospel of Christ is building us stronger together. That's part of the reason he tore down dividing walls. He's building us stronger together because we can find ourselves that, that we are precious to God, Ephesians two nineteen. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Remember what he says above us? Remember how you used to be. You used to be a stranger. You used to be an alien. You used to be alone, without hope in the world. You used to be that kite flying on the breeze, left to your own devices, probably to get stuck in an oak tree somewhere. But what he says here is you are no longer those things. You're no longer a stranger. And, 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 and by the way, he ratchets it closer and closer to home. Do, do you see that in the text? You're no longer a stranger and an alien, but now you're also a fellow citizen of the kingdom. So you're not only just somebody who's here on a work visa or with a green card, you're now a full-blooded citizen of the kingdom. And, and then he even says this, not only that, but you're also then a member of the household of God. Through Christ, we not only have access to our Father's presence, we also have access to our Father's hearts. We are precious to God. When I have people over to my house, when I walk into my house, I don't take my shoes off. If I'm thirsty, I go to the cabinet, I get out a glass, I fill it up with water or with juice or with soda or whatever it is that I want because it's in my refrigerator. I fill it up, I go to my couch, I sit down, I turn the TV on, That's how I roll. Why? Because it's my house. When you come to my house, you will come in and I will tell you, don't worry about your shoes. We don't take them off. And then you will proceed to take your shoes off. Probably. Not now. Now you're going to be like, I'll show you dirt all over your floor. you know. But that's how you will do it. And and then I'll say, hey, can I get you anything to drink? And you'll say, yes, I'll like a water. And then then I'll have to go get you a cup with water. And I don't mind that. But what we're talking about here is it's different when it's your house, isn't it? It's different when you're a member of the house, isn't it? When my kids ask me for water, what do I tell them? Oh, let me get you a cl-? I'm like, no, pull, get, yourself. get yourself. Yes. Well, I think it was probably said best in August 25th, 1939, in Technicolor, the musical, The Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy said, there's no place like home. And so in the text, what Paul is saying is, welcome home. And he's building us stronger together because now we're part of a family. Now you're part of a unit. Now you're part of a tribe. And he goes on and he says, not only that, but we're secure in Christ. Unfortunately, in our world today, households dissolve. People pass away. People can abandon one another. But not in Christ. In Christ, we are secure. Ephesians 20 through 21 built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord Jesus' sacrifice is the ultimate testimony on which we can rest our claims of god's love if you think about it as a house i don't know if you've heard this story before but one of my favorites goes something like this once upon a time there were three little pigs and uh, there was a wolf that came to town. Each one of these pigs, they built their own house to save them from the wolf, right? You guys are familiar with the story. The first pig built his house out of what? Straw Straw or hay, depends on who tells the story, right? When the wolf came to town and he blew upon the house, what happened? It fell down. down. So that pig ran to the second pig's house. That pig built his house out of what? You know the story. Sticks or twigs, depends on where you're from, right? (laughs) You steal my thunder, girl. What is going on? (laughs) Spoiler alert, right? So the wolf comes and blows at that house. It falls. They all go to the third pig's house, which is built out of what? Bricks. You're absolutely right. The wolf blows and blows and nothing can happen. Is this not what Jesus was talking about? Not the three little pigs, of course, but Matthew 7, 24 through 27, which he says, any of those who build their lives on my commands is like someone who builds their house on a rock. It's going to withstand the test of time. Unless if you don't, you build your house on sand and then a wind's going to come and going to blow your house down. You see, as we are each individual, bricks Jesus came in as a carpenter it's interesting that he has that trade isn't it maybe even a mason we don't know for sure what that meant in there but for this illustration he's going to be a masoner so he comes to that wall that was built up and instead he takes his chisel of the gospel and cuts out from it all of us ugly rocks and he brings us over here and instead what he does is he smooths off the edges and by a mortar mixed with his blood, he places us into this, this structure, which eventually is a house for him to live in. And then it says, even in 21, now go here. So the Gentiles couldn't even go in. The dividing wall was so bad that they would be executed upon entering in. But look at verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together, what does it do? It grows into the very holy temple in the Lord. So not only is there outer no longer any outer courts, it is the structure itself that the spirit is within. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And so that brings me to the final section of today's message. We must practice this kind of living by the Spirit then. Ephesians 2, to finish us up this morning. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So i want to ask you, is that true? In him also, or in him you also? Is that true of you as it is of the Ephesians? I hope that it is. In him you also are being built together. Is that true for Arrogan Bible Church? I hope that it is. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. I hope that it is. Paul is communicating to us that this kind of thing isn't just what happened in days gone by. This isn't just the amazing, uh, miraculous indwelling of the Spirit that happened back in Acts. This happens today in us as we become the body of Christ, the building of Christ. As long as we draw breath on this earth, we should be about the business of practicing who we are. So Paul says, remember. So therefore I say, remember. Remember that this wall of hostility that has been broken down is to be used instead as a bridge of hope and peace and love to all of those who would find themselves in Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that all of us would be part of that dwelling place together. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, you have adopted us for this. Help us, therefore, to show this brotherly kindness one toward another, that we might labor for our mutual benefit. Grant that we might prove by our whole of our life that we have not been called in vain by you that we might so live in harmony with each other, that this integrity and innocence of our faith would prevail among us. May we so strive to benefit one another that your name would be glorified in us. And let us do this work not only for a day or for a season, but until at length we have we had finished our course and reached the goal which you have set before us, We thank you, Lord, that we have this hope and this peace and this love that is constructed by the bridge that you have made out of the rubble of the previous dividing wall. Help us to remember to always be grateful and to live in that new identity of which you have built. It's in your name we pray. Amen.